Good to see you this morning. Palm Sunday, Sunday morning. Works better when you close the bathroom door. All right, let's try again. Palm Sunday, Sunday morning, we celebrate uh, the offering, the entrance of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. Uh, we talked about that uh, several weeks ago. And uh, today is the day, even though I preached on it a month ago, that uh, we celebrate Palm Sunday. Glad to have you here today. Uh, those of you who are joining us online, uh, glad that you have uh, taken that time as well. If you would, I'd uh, love to have you to like or comment or share some way or another. Let us know that uh, you are there, and I uh, appreciate that uh, very much. Uh, let's open this morning as we... Uh, focus our hearts and minds uh, with a passage of scripture uh, from the 138th Psalm, Psalm of David, 139th Psalm, excuse me, says, I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. In the day when I cried, thou answered me, and strengthenest me with strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, when they hear the words of thy mouth. Yea, thou shalt sing in the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Though the Lord be high, yet hath he respect unto the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning that draws our attention to you. Uh, God, that reminds us that, uh, that uh, the kings praise you. God, that uh, even the highest among us still bow down uh, and uh, worship and praise you. And this morning, uh, as we gather together, uh, God, we, uh, we, we want to do the same. We want to praise you. We want to worship you. Uh, lift up your name, God, that you would be glorified, uh, God, that you would be honored uh, in this place. Lord, we ask you that you would uh, have your Holy Spirit just fill this place, uh, just uh, illuminate our hearts, uh, draw us to you, lift burdens, uh, God, handle needs. Uh, most of all, Lord, if there's one here, one online, uh, God, that uh, is listening, uh, that you would deal with their heart, that if they don't know Jesus Christ, God, just as uh, Christ entered uh, into Jerusalem that day triumphantly, uh, God, that today he would triumphantly enter their heart, that they would ask him uh, into their life to be their Lord and Savior. God, we ask you just to bless again this service and all that we do for us in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. As we get started this morning, the Bible tells us uh, to enter into his gates with thanksgiving. And so uh, let's enter the gate this morning. Anybody got a word of thanksgiving? God's blessed you. Uh, well, who is that? Oh, I heard voices. Well, good news. I can drive in the daytime. Uh, no nighttime, no Highway 85 or Charlotte, but just short, short little distance. And the Lord's been working on me this whole time. I could write a book about all the lessons I'm learning, and I just want to thank God. That's not only a testimony, but that's a prayer request for everybody in Mount Pleasant that's on the road with Melissa. I love the hospital. 
Anyone else? Yes, Anne. That is Anne Ray, the one and only. She did not die. She has just been bad sick. We're glad to have her back this morning. Anyone else? Thanksgiving, enter into his gates. You don't have Thanksgiving, we're going to have to put you out the gates. All right, I guess that means you want to sing then. Either way, you're going to praise the Lord. You're going to stand, you're going to stand up and praise the Lord one way or another. Let's all stand as uh, we sing together at the cross. Oh, 
Anyone else? Randy Moore. Where's my interpreter? Randy Moore. Y'all think I'm kidding? Oh. Tammy. Tell Archie. Tammy. Ronnie Seymour. He uh, stayed for liver cancer in the hospital, not doing well. Anyone else? Let's remember those uh, several different places. Mississippi, I believe Arkansas, several different places uh, in the last week that uh, have been, I um, died. Uh, their families that have been impacted by the storms, tornadoes. Uh, 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 I, I can't imagine. I, I've seen some areas after a tornado. I can't imagine going through one like that. That'd be unbelievable. Tom, you lead us in prayer. You don't have to stand up. You got your guitar and all, so you just lead us in prayer. Our most precious and loving Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you just praising you and thanking you, Lord, for this beautiful springtime as we see flowers blooming and light coming back. And you work with dead during winter, Lord. We just praise you that you work in our lives the same way, Lord, that every day is new and fresh. And yeah. we just honor you for your love for us, Lord, your mercy, your grace, Lord, uh, setting us free from a bondage of sin and allowing us to live as your children in this world, Lord. We pray that this morning that you be honored and glorified and the message that Jimmy brings, Lord, will draw us close to you. And we just praise you for your holy name. In Christ's name we pray.
several years ago, I was called on to mediate um, between a church, uh, not the whole, well, some folks in a church, uh, and the pastor. There was a divide and some um, unhappiness on the pew because on uh, the previous Sunday or several Sundays before, on Palm Sunday actually, uh, on that Sunday night, the pastor had preached on the crucifixion. And there were some in the church who were unhappy because they felt that he was too graphic and approximately, of course, it's been several years ago now, was, we didn't need to hear all that graphic stuff in church. And there was part of me that wanted to say, I don't know what he said, but it wasn't graphic enough. Because there was no way he could have described in detail the events of that day. But since I was supposed to be mediating peace, I kept that to myself. Um, but that was the thought that ran through my mind. This morning, as we have over the last few weeks uh, walked through at least part of the events of the Easter week, Holy Week today, uh, even though it is Palm Sunday, those of you who have been following along know that uh, several weeks ago now we discussed Palm Sunday. And so today we come to the events of the crucifixion. I'm not going to be graphic um, this morning. Um, I, I'm not going to uh, be graphic at all. Um, I want to talk about the crucifixion and what it means. Uh, most of you have an understanding of what happened and the events there, uh, how they transpired. Uh, but um, I want to talk to you about what exactly, uh, or not everything. Uh, I could probably talk to you now or uh, next year, next Easter on uh, all that it means. Uh, but uh, I want to talk a little bit about what the significance, what the crucifixion actually means. And let's uh, begin this morning. I'm going to uh, begin with talking about the schedule. Uh, let's back up and take a minute. I'm going to give you a little more uh, detail uh, of each day. Uh, don't have every uh, item uh, that uh, transpired uh, during the week, but uh, I want to give you a, uh, a, a general uh, idea of how the events played out leading up to uh, the crucifixion. Uh, if you uh, would like to follow along, uh, hopefully uh, those punching the buttons on the slides, we're going to be able to stay together and keep it uh, in line. It should show up for you uh, over here to my left. Uh, and uh, at the end of kind of each section, uh, I will try to slow down enough uh, that you can see 
the scripture references that back up. I don't have time this morning to read scripture at every one of these points, but I'm going to show you the scripture references there uh, on the screen if you want to write those down. Uh, if uh, you miss something uh, that you want uh, to know what it said, let me know and I'll uh, try, we'll try to figure it out and I'll try to get it to you. Uh, but uh, just want to walk through uh, these events. And if you will, uh, even though you may have an idea of what they are, I, 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 there, there's a, uh, there is a light at the end of the tunnel here uh, of uh, why I want to break these down uh, in, uh, in, uh, in each day. Uh, we begin uh, on Palm Sunday. Uh, Palm Sunday is uh, what we typically uh, say is the beginning of Easter week or Holy Week uh, in, uh, in the uh, celebration, uh, the remembrance of Easter. It begins on uh, Palm Sunday. We looked at that uh, a few weeks ago. It began, uh, obviously, with uh, the triumphal entry. Uh, as Jesus presented himself as he rode into uh, Jerusalem, uh, sitting on a donkey, and the, uh, the crowd began to shout Hosanna and throw uh, lay palm leaves and their uh, jackets on, in his path uh, as they uh, were expecting a conquering king to come uh, riding into town. Uh, then uh, later on uh, in the day he returns back uh, to the little village uh, of Bethany uh, just uh, a little ways away uh, from Jerusalem. Uh, you'll see on the screen there uh, that uh, all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, uh, Luke, and John, all four, uh, record these events uh, in relative uh, close uh, detail. Uh, if you are familiar with the Gospels, you know that uh, many times what uh, some people consider to be conflict uh, is just uh, the particular Gospel writer uh, sharing his perspective uh, of what happened. If you've ever uh, seen someone uh, describe uh, for example, a car accident. Uh, you, know, you know, if there's three people who see that accident, there's a good chance there will be four different stories of what happened. Uh, that's just the way we are. Uh, Matthew, for one thing, uh, was writing to a different audience than Mark was. Mark was writing to a different audience than Luke was. Luke uh, was a physician. Uh, he had a, a whole different way of looking at things. Luke was far more concerned. If you read Luke's gospel carefully, uh, you will see that Luke uh, was much more concerned uh, with including the, the women uh, in the story and getting their perspective on things. And, uh, and so all four of these writers uh, wrote for different purposes to different audiences. Mark was largely uh, writing to a Roman audience who didn't uh, care much about some of the Jewish traditions uh, that Matthew included. That, that, that would have meant nothing to them. So he just, uh, Mark is a very rapid fire, uh, just, uh, oh, Joe Friday from Dragnet, if you remember that. He would have loved Mark. If you remember Joe Friday, used to say, just the facts, ma'am. That's kind of the way Mark reports the story. And so all four Gospels record uh, Palm Sunday. Uh, then we have, uh, obviously, we come to what uh, 
has been labeled because I think nobody's been creative enough to come up with a better name for it. We just call it Holy Monday. Uh, it does have a few names here and there, but uh, Holy Monday uh, is uh, the next day. Uh, on that day, Jesus comes back from uh, Bethany, uh, and he comes back to Jerusalem. Not quite uh, the entrance that he had the day before, uh, but on the way uh, to Jerusalem, he passes a fig tree uh, that has no fruit. And at that point, he puts a curse uh, on that fig tree, uh, and uh, then they proceed on. Uh, he gets into Jerusalem, and for the second time, he cleanses the temple. Uh, he goes in and finds again the money changers and the other things that are going on there. Uh, and so he, once again, uh, he cleanses the temple. Uh, after those events, he uh, returns and goes back uh, to Bethany. Uh, again, we see that uh, that is included uh, in all four Gospels. There are uh, some slight, uh, there are a few details here in one that may not be in the other, but when you bring them all together, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, all four, uh, record the events uh, of the Monday uh, of Easter week. Uh, we got real creative when it came to Tuesday, and we call it Holy Tuesday. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, we, we went out there. We had a top-notch PR group working on these names. Uh, and so uh, we have uh, Holy Tuesday. Uh, once again, uh, Jesus is going to return to Jerusalem uh, from Bethany. Once again, he comes past uh, that little fig tree. Uh, as he does, the fig tree that he cursed the day before uh, has now withered up. He uses that uh, as an opportunity uh, to speak and to teach about, uh, about faith. Uh, where he then goes on from there and once again returns uh, to the temple. Uh, that takes uh, a great deal of courage uh, to return to the temple uh, that you cleansed the day before. Uh, but he goes back to the temple uh, where the leaders, uh, if you read, you will find that at that point uh, the leaders uh, were planning uh, a... Um, a uh, what am I trying to call it? Uh, when you sneak attack somebody. Uh, ambush. Ambush, thank you. Uh, yeah. You tell I'm not a very crooked person. Who said ambush? Well, that's you know, what we need to know about Greg. Watch it. Uh, yeah, uh, that's it. But uh, they were planning at that point uh, to arrest uh, Jesus and to take him captive and ultimately kill him uh, at that point. And Jesus was able uh, to avoid their uh, attempts and uh, able to, uh, to leave safely. Uh, as he left, he goes out uh, to Mount Olive, uh, where we have the great Olivet Discourse uh, that is recorded uh, in the Word of God. Once again, uh, we see that those events are again uh, included in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, all four Gospels again uh, record uh, each of these events. Then we come to Wednesday, we, uh, and it is called, no, it's not Holy Wednesday. Uh, uh, some people call it Spy Wednesday. Uh, some people call it Dark Wednesday. It has a couple names that uh, has been given to it uh, over, uh, over the years. But Wednesday uh, is actually a day 
where there is uh, nothing recorded. Uh, Jesus, there, there is no activity uh, of Jesus recorded for us uh, on Wednesday. It appears uh, the logical uh, assumption would be that Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday were pretty busy, and Thursday and Friday wasn't looking much better. Uh, and so Wednesday uh, was a day uh, that he prepared uh, by resting uh, in Bethany. If I was uh, speculating, uh, I would say based on Jesus' previous practice and what we see uh, in the life and times of Jesus leading up to this point, uh, I would speculate that Jesus spent a great deal of time on Wednesday in conversation with his Father. Uh, that would be my, uh, my hunch for what went on uh, on Wednesday, much like uh, the events of Gethsemane. He spent uh, a great deal of time Wednesday talking to his Father about what was about uh, to transpire. Now, uh, I, I don't know that. That's just, uh, again, speculation based on uh, what, uh, what happened uh, in the other parts of Jesus' life. What we uh, do believe, and we don't have, uh, again, you, you'll notice nowhere in these texts, as I say Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we have to kind of piece it together, and uh, it, it appears that Wednesday is the day uh, that Judas began his negotiations, uh, or had his negotiations with the Pharisees and the Sadducees uh, to, uh, to betray Jesus. That's recorded for us uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is the only one uh, in chapter 26 uh, who does record uh, those events, uh, that uh, the, the story of Judas planning to betray uh, Jesus. We can move on then to Thursday, where the activity obviously begins to pick up uh, a great deal. We, uh, we talked about this last week. Uh, Monday, Thursday is what uh, we have named that, coming from uh, the root word that means mandate, uh, as Jesus commanded his followers uh, to love. Uh, and so that's where we come with the name uh, of Monday, Thursday. It begins... Uh, our activity really begins with uh, the example Jesus gave uh, by washing the feet of his disciples there uh, in the upper room. Uh, well, actually, let me back up and say there's one, obviously, one thing that I, is not included there because it's really not so much an activity of Jesus, but Jesus sent uh, disciples to secure uh, that upper room to have uh, this, uh, this feast. Once there, uh, Jesus proceeds to, uh, to gird himself, to get a basin of water, uh, and wash the feet uh, of his disciples. That is, followed then as they celebrate uh, the Passover, uh, or as we now uh, label it, as we call it, uh, the Last Supper. Uh, they get up from there after that, um, and back up a little intervening thing there. Jesus tells them uh, that someone is going, one of the disciples will betray him, and he says, it's the one uh, that dips in the cup with me. Uh, and Judas uh, then uh, gets up and leaves. And the remaining disciples of Jesus, they go uh, over the book Kidron uh, and into the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, which we looked at uh, last Sunday. 
uh, at that point, after Jesus prays, uh, wakes the disciples up a couple times, prays some more, uh, we have Judas and the soldiers arriving, and Judas then betrays Jesus uh, with a kiss. Obviously, I'm giving the Reader's Digest convinced version here. Uh, there are a lot more uh, details that uh, can be found. At that point, he is arrested uh, illegally, unlawfully, uh, by the Sanhedrin, and he is then taken to the home of Caiaphas, uh, where, uh, who is the high priest uh, at that time. Uh, one of a couple of high priests, because the Jews uh, had butchered the system uh, in, the, in, the, in the temple. Uh, but Caiaphas is the high priest uh, where they go, and they have, uh, again, a unlawful trial. Uh, if I was to take time this morning uh, to tell you all the laws that were broken uh, in the last hour of Jesus' life, uh, it would take me uh, a week. The, 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 the Jews uh, who were so concerned uh, about the law, who were so concerned about ritual, who were so concerned about all these things when it came to the arrest, trial, and crucifixion of Jesus Christ, took the law book, they grabbed it by their hand, and chucked it out into the backyard. Uh, there, there's an innumerable number uh, of laws uh, that were violated in, in the arrest and trial of Jesus Christ. While that was going on, we all know the story of how Peter standing outside, uh, when confronted by the young girl, denies Jesus as predicted uh, three times. Once again, we see that that is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four Gospels record uh, those events. That brings us now to what uh, we uh, have uh, often labeled as Good Friday. It appears that early in the morning uh, on Friday, that Judas uh, went out then and hung himself uh, out of remorse, uh, recognizing what he had done. Uh, before 9 a.m., the Bible says, if you look up these texts, you'll see it was called the third hour. Uh, they began their clock at 6 in the morning. Uh, and so before the third hour, which would be hour uh, 9 a.m., uh, Jesus is falsely accused, condemned, mocked, beaten, um, spat on, you name it, uh, all by 9 o'clock uh, in the morning. Again, after a number uh, of unlawful trials, Jesus is passed around uh, from leader to leader uh, and, uh, and uh, official to official. And in each place, there is an illegal uh, trial held with illegal testimony, with illegal witnesses. Uh, and Jesus uh, is then sentenced uh, to death by crucifixion. Uh, almost immediately, uh, Christ was then uh, led away uh, with soldiers, uh, again, spitting on him, tormenting him, uh, mocking him, uh, piercing him with a crown of thorns, uh, all those things that uh, transpired uh, as he carries his own cross uh, to Golgotha uh, for his crucifixion. Uh, along the way, uh, as was described uh, beautifully uh, in uh, Tommy's song this morning, uh, Simon is compelled uh, to carry the cross the rest of the way as Jesus 
due to his beatings, his blood loss, uh, everything that has transpired is unable to carry it any further. Uh, they get him to Golgotha, uh, where he is uh, nailed to the cross uh, and hung there on the cross. Uh, he speaks what we call uh, the seven final statements, seven last words uh, of Jesus, uh, of Christ uh, at Calvary and about the ninth hour, which would be 3 p.m. in the afternoon, Jesus has died. By 6 p.m., no later than 6 p.m., would have been unlawful. So we know that by 6 p.m. on Friday evening, Nicodemus, the Nicodemus of, uh, of Scripture, and Josephus of Arimathea have claimed the body of Christ, taken him down off of the cross, and placed him in a tomb. Once again, recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the reason I wanted to go over that schedule in a fair amount of detail was not the detail. The reason I wanted to go through the schedule so as I came to the end of each day, I could say to you that it was recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But all four of these writers record these events. There is no variance in their story. I, in any court in the land, if four different men from four different backgrounds stand up and testify to effectively the exact same story, you, my friend, will be convicted. You will be convicted in any court in the land with four witnesses who all tell the same story. And the reason I wanted to emphasize that this morning is because I want you to understand that there are even today some who would say that none of these events actually happen. That none of these events actually transpire. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have all four recorded the exact same story. I don't have time this morning, and I, I wish I would have maybe made a little list and just put the, the references on the screen uh, to show you uh, that even before they happened, in the Old Testament, we had these events prophesied pretty much letter for letter, exactly the way the Gospel writers recorded them as happening. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, for example, if you look there, is very explicit uh, about the, the, the events of Palm Sunday uh, and Jesus riding in uh, on a donkey. Uh, and so these events uh, are not only uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I believe all four confirm beyond a shadow of a doubt that these events happen. The fact that they are prophesied in detail in the Old Testament and confirmed by the New Testament says something else that is extremely important. That none of these things caught God by surprise. 
that none of these things shot God. That He came to seek and to save that which was lost. That God gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him. That God had a plan from day one all the way back to the creation of man. When man fell, God said to the serpent that this woman, her seed, is going to, you're going to bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. What that is symbolic of is Satan may have bruised Jesus' heel on Calvary. He may have put him on a cross for a few hours. He may have put him in a tomb for a few days. But thank God, on that first Easter Sunday morning, he took that bruised heel and he put it right square on Satan's head and crushed his head and came out of that tomb victorious. Listen, this is not a random occurrence. This is not something that Caesar was in charge of. This is not something that the Sanhedrin were in, in, uh, in direction of. This is not something that Caiaphas was in direction of, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Jews, or anyone else. This was a well-calculated, well-thought-out plan by God Himself to send His Son that you and I might have salvation. There's a schedule that's laid out. If we would have went back into eternity's past, if we would have went back into eternities and eternities and eternities, if somehow we could get in Michael J. Fox's uh, fancy little car and transport through time, we could go back and the schedule that I gave you, God could have laid it out 10 million years ago and said, these are the events that will happen that will bring man salvation. There is nothing that caught Jesus Christ by surprise. As we look at these events, Jesus speaks these seven times in, uh, on the cross. As He hung there, as the ninth hour approaches, the Bible says He cries out with a loud voice. You know those words. He cries out, Ali, Ali, Lamo, Sabathoni, which is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? These events were planned and scheduled for a purpose. Matthew here records several other events in verse 46 of chapter 27. He records again that Jesus cries out with a loud voice and yields up his spirit. In verse 50, it says, And he died. Not he went to sleep or he suffered blood loss, but he died. Luke, the physician, says he died. Not just anybody, but Luke, the physician. At that point, the curtain of the temple, the veil that separated man from the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God, was rent from top to bottom, giving man access to the very presence of God ourselves. We no longer have to rely on a priest with a rope tied around his foot to drag him out and to go in before God. You and I can go. You can go right now. You can go in an hour. You can go in an hour and a half. You can go again in an hour and 35 minutes. You can go before the throne of God as often, as boldly as you choose because that veil was torn the earth shook. The graves gave up their dead. The tombs were open. And the bodies of the saints came out and walked the very streets of Jerusalem. The Bible says they went into the holy city and they appeared to many. When the centurion 
who was standing there. If you don't take Matthew, Mark, Luke, John's word, if you don't take the prophets and the men of the Old Testament's words, the Roman centurion who was standing at the foot of the cross looked at all these events and he had but one assessment. The Roman centurion, not a theologian, not a Christian, not one of the disciples, but a Roman guard, a Roman soldier, a Roman centurion, the Bible says, as he stood there and he saw that earthquake and he saw the events that had transpired. As he witnessed how Jesus Christ died on the cross, the Bible records for us that that centurion looked up and he said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Now that's a fascinating story. It's an amazing story. And I didn't even cover all of the details. But what difference does it make? What difference does the story of the crucifixion of Jesus make? Well, I can try to cover them all, but you're going to miss lunch. So I just want to, this morning, touch on two things. Two things that I believe are extremely important in the significance of the crucifixion. To do that, I'm going to ask you if you will, take your Bible, and let's leave the Gospels for a moment, and let's go over to the book of Romans, chapter 3. And I want to encourage you to, to open your Bible. If you don't have your Bible, open it up on your phone. If you don't have a Bible on your phone, let me encourage you. There's a couple. I don't get the commission. One is called the Version Bible. You can find it in your app store. I would encourage you to have it. I can't tell you how many times I've been somewhere and a thought crossed my mind and I didn't have a Bible, but my phone was handy. Most of us have our phone much closer than we do our Bible most of the time. And it's there. If you want one with a little more study, look, Google uh, the Blue Letter Bible. You'll find it. Uh, and, and you can, uh, it's got some study material. Either one of those would be great to have on your phone, your tablet, uh, so that you have the Bible with you uh, at all times. But in the book of Romans, chapter 3, and I want you to see two things that Paul shares with us that are significant about the crucifixion, that are extremely significant. Most of you are going to know at least part of these words. In Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 23, Paul says this, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. When God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. First of all, first significance that, uh, that uh, Paul speaks of here. There's a lot of lot of material. If you've ever done any study in the book of Romans, I know several years ago now, uh, Tommy spent about half a lifetime teaching through Romans in his Sunday school class. There is a lot to be said in the book of Romans. And I'm not going to cover all of this either, just like I didn't cover all the schedule. I want to cover two things that Paul points out. Two wonderfully, blessed, amazing truths. Paul says the first significance of the cross, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is that He became our propitiation. He became 
our propitiation. That is a word that we don't use any time in the English language other than we read when we read Romans chapter 3 or talk about Romans chapter 3. It's just not a word that fits into our normal vocabulary. But the word simply means turning away of anger by the offering of a gift. Turning away anger by the offering of a gift. Every word in that definition is extremely important. It doesn't just say that, a, that propitiation is the turning away of anger. How many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you in here have ever been angry with your spouse? I said don't raise your hand. Ever been angry with your spouse? Now, I was in, I was in uh, food line the other day, and I saw a fellow walking down the aisle with a bouquet of flowers. And I, you know, you ever have one of them thoughts? A lot of times I have them thoughts, and I don't have all the filters and gates that a lot of folks have. And they, but I didn't do it this time. Because I saw him standing there with those flowers, and he was looking at the candy on my left. And I started to say, dude, what you doing? You know, but I, uh, I just, I left it alone. I just kept walking, tending my business. You know, anybody in here, ladies, your husband ever mess up really bad, and he gave you a gift, brought some flowers, brought some candy. Me, you ever had to do that? You know, mess up really bad, had to buy a car. You know, you had to get. You know. Now, on the other hand, have you ever been angry with the spouse? And I didn't get you nothing. But in a day or so, or a week, or a month, you just get over it. You just kind of forget it and move on. Women looking at me like, forget? What's that mean? You know, we know about you women. Y'all heard that story before. When women get mad, they get historical. And I said, you mean hysterical? No, historical. I remember everything you ever done. But you know the difference. You can get over something, forgive something sometimes, and in other times, it takes a gift. I see some ladies nodding their head. A propitiation is turning away of anger by the offering of a gift. Specifically, for the, for, for the audience in Paul's day, for the Jews, they would have thought of the Old Testament sacrificial system. That they were turning away the anger of God by bringing in a lamb, as Tommy saying. That's what the whole song began talking about, that the, the Jews would bring a lamb to the temple to offer as a sacrifice for sin to turn away the, the uh, anger of God. And Christ became that sacrificial lamb. He became a propitiation. He became a sacrifice. He became a payment. He satisfied our debt. He became, the fancy word, is an appeasement for our sin. Again, a Jew reading this would have immediately flashed back to the Day of Atonement. Again, when the high priest would offer up a blood sacrifice for the people, he would take some of the blood, and he would go in to the Holy of Holies, and he would throw it uh, 
on the mercy seat, which was the lid to the Ark of the Covenant, and, and he would throw uh, some of that blood there. That uh, mercy seat was considered to be the throne of God, and by sprinkling the blood on the mercy seat, by putting it there, the high priest uh, was satisfying the anger and the justice of God. Blood had been shed to pay for the sin. Uh, and propitiation signifies for us the removal of wrath or the removal of anger by the offering of a blood sacrifice. I want you to understand something this morning. How many of you in your lifetime have been told, forgive and forget? Nobody? Okay, not one over here. Forgive and forget. I want you to understand something this morning that may blow some of his mind, but stick with me for a minute. Do you understand that God never just forgives? I'll let that sink in a minute. God never just Forgives. God's forgiveness is always connected to a propitiation. Blood had to be shed. In the Old Testament, it was a lamb. It was a heifer. It was a dove. Something had to be sacrificed, and the blood brought to the altar to satisfy the anger of God. Today, God sent his, or as we celebrate Easter, at that time, eventually we come to the place where God sends his own son to satisfy the debt that had to be paid. The sin debt that had to be paid. He, you know, God has never said, you know, how many of you in here, someone has ever offended you and they come and said, I'm sorry, you saw them. Never happened? Please tell me that's happened at some point in time that you just said, oh, don't worry about it, forget it. God has never said, oh, don't worry about it, forget it, to sin. Never. In the Old Testament, an animal, the high priest, had, an animal had to be taken and sacrificed. And in the New Testament, Jesus became the perfect spotless lamb to pay for our sin. To pay for our sin. Christ became that propitiation. The wrath of God must be satisfied. Justice must be satisfied. The price must be paid. Sin has to be paid for. The, well, what does the Bible say the penalty or the wages of sin is? Death. Someone, something has to die to pay for sin. If it's not you, who will it be? Christ said, it will be me. It will be me. Not for his sin, but for mine. Not for anything he had done, but for my sin. That penalty has to be paid. 
The, the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of the crucifixion, is that God provides Jesus Christ as the one that pays the penalty for sin so that wrath can be propitiated. How's that? I'll change the word a little bit. D.A. Carson, great Bible scholar, and I'm not going to try to paraphrase his words. I want to, I, I want to read them to you exactly as he read them, wrote them because I don't want to uh, be accused of messing up anything uh, that came out of his great mind. He says, In pagan propitiation, we offer the sacrifices and the gods are propitiated. Think about it. You've seen some of the old... Tarzan movies and jungle movies and things where they'd go out they'd, they'd, to, to, to make the gods happy. You've seen some of those old movies, heard some of those stories, how they'd take, a, take somebody and throw them in a volcano because they thought the volcano was going to erupt. And if they threw a virgin in the volcano, then the gods would not. What were they doing? They were providing a sacrifice to appease the gods. By contrast, he says in the Bible, God is both the origin and the object of a propitiating sacrifice. He provides it by sending his son to the cross, yet at the same time, the sacrifice satisfies his own honor and his righteous wrath is turned away without his holiness being imputed. We, God said, there must be a sacrifice, there must be a propitiation for sin, you're not qualified to do it, and because I am demanding a sacrifice, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send my own son to be that propitiation. Really, why is the analogy? But think about it. Somebody owes you money, and you say to that person, I tell you what, I want to have my son go get a job to pay me back your debt. Really poor comparison. That's like apples and oranges. But God says there's a debt you owe, but you know what? I'm not going to make you pay it, Daddy. I'm going to have my son come and pay it. I'm going to have him be the propitiation. I'm going to have him be the sacrifice. Forgiveness, my friends, always comes at a cost. Tony Evans tells a story. To a man once owned a Rolls Royce. Anybody here on Rolls Royce, Archie? If he had one, he wouldn't drive to church because he knows how to torment him about it. He just keeps it in the garage. Everybody here know what a Rolls Royce is. That crowd I'm talking to, I need to make sure you even know what one is. Man had a Rolls Royce. And it started giving him trouble. And he called the Rolls Royce company and they sent out a technician to repair it. Over time, he noticed that he never got a bill for his broken down Rolls Royce. So he called the company and he asked him, he said, hey, this is uh, I, I, I got, I never got a bill. The man on the other end of the phone, very pompous and very dignified, said, Sir, there has never been a documented problem 
within Rolls Royce. They wouldn't even bill him for the repair. Our cars don't break down. There's no record of No record of That's what a propitiation does. Takes care of the bill when you broke them down. When sin has got you broken down, sin has got you broken in pieces, propitiation of Jesus Christ repairs you. It says, no record. No bill. The significance of the crucifixion. He became our propitiation. Second thing this passage says is he became our redemption. Look what he says again in verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption again means to deliver by paying a price. It means to redeem. It's used three different ways in the New Testament. Redemption is used, first of all, to talk about the redemption of a slave from the slave market. When a man was in slavery, you could go and pay his price and bring him out of slavery. Now, I remind you, in the New Testament, slaves in that time were somewhat different than what we think of as slavery in the United States. The typical slave was in slavery because he failed to pay a debt. And now he was working off his debt. And once he worked off his debt, he became a free man. And so, CD owed me, bought a piece of land he was unable to pay for. He would become my slave until he worked off what he owed for that land that he didn't pay for. Now, he could work till he paid me back, or Jim could come along and say, how much does CD owe on that piece of property? And I'd say he owes me $200. And Jim could say, well, here's $200, and boom, CD is no longer my slave. Jim could redeem CD. And so, to redeem a slave is one way that that word is used. Again, it, it, it's more than just deliverance. Again, Jim didn't come in and rescue CD. He didn't come in and snatch him out of my control, snatch him out of my garden and take him to a different place. He actually has to pay a price to redeem him. He pays that price to redeem a slave. Means to Jews to talk about redeeming someone then out of the enslavement of sin. Just as a man is in slavery because of debt, he says we are enslaved to sin. We owe a debt, sin debt, that we could not pay. It required the sacrifice of a holy sacrifice, a pure sacrifice. And so Jesus comes and pays that price and redeems us. Redemption in Christ is brought about by his death, his sufferings, and of that there can be no question. I want you to understand something this morning. Redemption is not brought about by the life of Christ. Redemption is not brought about because of the the, the teaching of Christ, 
Redemption is not brought about because of the miracles of Christ. Redemption is not brought about because of the example of Christ. Redemption is not brought about by any of those things. Redemption is brought about pure, plain, and simple because Jesus Christ was hung on an old rugged cross and shed His blood and died there for me and you. If He'd have never taught a word, if He'd have never performed a miracle, He died on that cross. He would still have redemption. Our propitiation and our redemption. There was a story a while back in the little magazine. Many of you pick it up off our table back there. Our Daily Bread. There was a story of a, uh, a church in Boston and the pastor there. One day he met a young boy standing out front of the church. He had a little rusty cage. In that cage had a couple of birds just fluttering around in that cage. And saw the boy and said, son, where'd you get those birds? The boy replied, I, I trapped them. I caught them. I caught them out in the field. I put them in this cage. The pastor says, well, what are you going to do with them? He said, well, I haven't really thought about it. Yes, I'm going to play with them for a little while. And then I'm going to feed them the old tongue to Preacher heard that and he was a little bothered by it. And he says, would you sell me those birds? Can I buy them from you? The little boy says, man, are you crazy? Just old wild birds. I just caught them in a field. Thousands of them out there. I'm going to get you some. I'm going to cost you that. They're wild birds. They don't sing. don't talk. Just old scraggly old birds. What do you want with them? Preacher says, I'll give you two dollars for the, bird and the birds and the cage. Boy's eyes lit up. He said, All right. I warned you, you're making a bad deal, preacher. Boy went away, down the sidewalk, tickled the paint. Got him two dollars. Preacher took the birds, took the cage, and walked around behind the church. He opened up the door of the cage, and the birds flew out, flew out into the wild blue yonder, up into the trees. The next Sunday, he took the bird cage into the pulpit with him. He carried it in, told him the story of the birds and how he purchased them and set them free to illustrate the story of Christ coming to seek and to save that which was lost, paying for him with his own blood. He said, the boy told me that the birds, they're not singers. He says, but when I turn them loose and begin to fly off into the sky, he says, I'm sure I heard him sing, redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed. 
this time and forever. I have you been redeemed this morning? Have you been set out of your cage? Has someone else paid the price? Become your propitiation? Become your redemption? The majority of people in this room are shaking their head yes. They know exactly what it means to be that little bird set out of that cage. They know what it means to be redeemed. You know what it means to have someone else become your propitiation. What a great day, Palm Sunday. The triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. For you and I, get on our hands and knees before a holy God and say, Lord, we thank you. We know there was a price that had to be paid for my sin. And you paid it. I was that little bird in that rusty cage. But now I'm saying, redeemed. Redeemed. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. If you're here today, or you're joining us online, or you're watching this recording later, the message is still the same. You can be redeemed. Jesus Christ became your propitiation. He paid the price for your sin so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be saved, so that you could have the promise of eternal life with Jesus Christ, so you could have the confidence and the assurance of an eternity in the presence of God if you've never asked Him into your heart. Not have you ever become a church member, not have you ever taught a Sunday school class. Not have you ever sung in the choir. Have you ever asked Jesus to come and to live in your heart and to forgive you for your sins? You're here today and you need to do that. You need to ask him into your heart. If you're joining us online, would you call us, email us, reach out. We'd love to talk to you. You need to come. Let me show you from God's Word how you can be redeemed. How you can have your cage. Opened, and you can fly with the birds. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, I come to you this morning. God, thankful for your word. God, thankful for the propitiation that Jesus Christ paid my price for my redemption, that he lifted me up. When I couldn't come to where you are, you sent your son to where I am. God, to save me. God, to redeem me, to cleanse me, and to give me the promise of eternal life. God, I pray this morning that believers in this room would be overwhelmed in gratitude, overwhelmed by the truth that forgiveness is a truth, forgiveness has a cause. And God, the front of this church would just be filled with believers, expressing their love and their gratitude for that salvation. God, but most of all, if there's one here, no, no, no. Any church out of the life, first Sunday in church, whatever it is. 
Facebook page as well. Uh, mine personally, uh, or again, you can search for Kenny. Uh, Kenny has a lot of good things he posts from all over the state. Um, and if you friend him, he will be uh, sure to friend you back. Uh, so I want to tell you about that. Uh, remind you, uh, obviously, next Sunday is Easter. Uh, as you go out uh, on the table, on the information table, and I uh, thank Diane for putting that together and getting all of our propaganda in one place, uh, there are some postcards from the church. Uh, at the church name, logo on them. Um, I encourage you to pick a couple of those up and uh, find a friend. We may have to work to make one between now and next Sunday, but find a friend, uh, somebody who's not in church. Please don't invite the chairman of the Beacons from First Baptist Church. Um, but uh, find a friend who doesn't have a church uh, and invite them. I don't know what y'all done to my baby that she's scared to run up here now. Um, but um, I said, uh, and either mail them one of those cards or give them one of those cards uh, with a handwritten invitation to come worship with you on Easter. It's a great day uh, that people are open to an invitation uh, to church. And so uh, we'll pick some of those up and share those with, uh, with folks, um, again, through the mail or in person, offer to pick them up, bring them to church uh, for Easter worship next Sunday uh, at 10 o'clock. Um, are you verifying that they're there, yeah, okay, they're there. Uh, thank you for making sure that I knew they used to be. Uh, so pick some of those up and uh, use those, and they stay back there, so you can use them beyond Easter. Uh, but um, make, uh, make an invitation uh, to uh, church. I'm, I'm going to let you go, I promise. Hey, so a minute and pass. We were having a conversation this week about um, getting folks to come to church. And we were talking about, over the years, all the different things we have tried. And we, you know, we, here in most other places, we tried just about everything from uh, fall festivals, spring festivals, egg hunts, revivals, you name it, we tried. And most of us, if we're very honest, will say we've seen very little success from those things. Spent a lot of money. I heard Curtis Parker 10 years ago say, event evangelism is what he called it, doesn't work. Um, but you know what does work? Proven throughout history what does work over and over again. You're inviting somebody to church. 30-some percent, 32-33 percent of the people, when asked, why did you go to a church the first time? They said, because that's where my family goes. 20-some percent, about 26 percent said, that's because where my friends go and they invited me. About 20 percent said, because of the sign in front of the church. Well, if that's the case, we got that part covered now. Uh, thank you for the sign. Uh, but uh, invite somebody to church. It works. All right? Let's back to this mess. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for allowing us to gather here today. God, I thank you again for the, uh, the propitiation, the redemption that Jesus Christ provided. God, go with us as we leave here. Uh, God, God, direct us as uh, we celebrate this Easter week. And we'll give you the honor for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Oh, yeah.